in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. Howdy folks, it's Andy Larson, the host with the most, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of The Last Comic Shop. Now, if you're wondering where my co-hosts, Chad Smith and J.A. Scott are, well, I decided to give them the week off. I mean, it's the summertime after all, and I thought they deserved a little vacation after delivering week after week of terrific comic book reviews to all of our fans. As for the show for this week, I thought since I was stuck minding the store all by my lonesome, it might be a great opportunity to visit the Last Comic Shop archives and see what we could dig up for our fans. So without further ado, let's open up that vault and see what's inside, shall we? Oh, oh boy, I won't lie. It's always a bit creepy walking around this place. It's like you can feel the ghosts haunting it or something. <laughs> In any case, what some fans might not know is that Chad, J.A., and I have been reviewing comic books via podcast for a long, long time, well before the first episode of The Last Comic Shop ever aired. As such, we've got some great past reviews that definitely deserve the opportunity to be heard by all of our new listeners. Now, for those that tune into The Last Comic Shop regularly, you'll notice some minor differences with these old episodes versus our, our newer ones. The, the rating scale is a little bit different. It's kind of like more of a grading scale in these things. And some of the format has kind of changed. But long story short, what hasn't changed is our general philosophy of bringing folks into the comic book tent. So with that being said, let's rev up that old Archive-Rama 3000 machine and let's take a listen to myself, Chad, and J.A., as well as special guest, Chris Schmidt, as we take a look back at the classic comic book-related movie, The Rocketeer. Things that we've missed out a lot on over the past year is the fact that we haven't seen a lot of comic book related movies. And uh, on today's program, we have decided that we're going to alleviate that by going backwards and looking at some comic book related movies that have already been released that you can check out on streaming services. And uh, making sure that not only are we educating you on that movie and maybe touching upon some of your, your nostalgia, but also uh, proving to you that these movies actually have comic-related roots. And make sure You're that... not hard to sell it. There's a bunch we missed, and we want to do it because we want to do it. So we're going to do it. <laughs> That's right. Well, I saw, that was Chad's reason. It was his idea today. One of his favorite comic book-related movies, and that is The Rocketeer. Huzzah. I think from 1991. Is 1991. That wow, I was in seventh grade. I was at least a toddler. 
<laughs> you were a and little I was tight. still bigger than Andrew was in seventh grade as a five-year-old. <laughs> case. So yeah, 1991, the Rocketeer came out from the Walt Disney uh, Company, and uh, we're going to be reviewing not only the, that movie but the uh, book that uh, inspired it. Uh, written by one of the greatest artists I can think of of the last, I don't know, 50 years of comic booking. I'd put him probably in the top 10, and that's Dave Stevens, uh, who did wow. not too many issues of The Rocketeer, but the issues that he did, my God, is that art gorgeous. That is <laughs> art that I would look at every single day. And it took him a long time to do those issues. We're talking like years between issues as we'll get to when we start talking about the comic book <laughs> so we're going to kind of start off by at least naming some facts about the movie because a lot more people know about that and so we've got my cousin ja who's going to give you a rundown of the big stars that were in the original rocketeer Okay, so we've got some uh, names that probably a lot of people will recognize and some that people won't. The Rocketeer himself was played by Billy Campbell. I was—I I actually had to look up Billy Campbell when I saw his name because I didn't realize who he was at first. And I was like, I, I thought, is he related to Bruce Campbell in some way? Is he a cousin of like Bruce Campbell? Because they, they kind of still got that square jaw. And I was like, no, nah, he, he was nothing. He was on Dynasty or some <clears> other <throat> show. And I was just like, okay. But who else we got? Jennifer Connelly, the Oscar Award winner. Alan Arkin, always good. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite Bonds, Timothy Dalton, playing the villain. Paul Sorvino, going against cast and playing a mob boss. I know, right? And uh, some character actors like Terry O'Quinn plays Howard Hughes. And, He's not uh, a character actor. He was one of the main characters on Lost, for God's sake. That was one of the biggest shows in the last, like, 20 years. Like, everybody was watching yeah. Lost. You didn't know who Locke was? Mm, ah, never saw character it. actor, my ass. Not one. He was episode. he was a character actor at the time that he was. <laughs> Chad brought up uh, an interesting one. Like, did, what was the uh, guy that you had mentioned? No, yeah, from The Office, Michael Scott's uh, girlfriend, responsible for the awkward dinner party, is one of the singers in the lounge scene. There you go. I don't know what her real life name is, but I was like, that's Jan Levinson. I think the interesting fact I have about some of the casting in this is that at the time, Jennifer Connelly, I think, was only 20 years old when this film was released. And she had somewhat of a, I don't want to say torrid affair, but it was like, it was like, ooh, she, she with uh, the actual guy that played the Rocketeer, the Billy Campbell guy at the time, they were an item. And it was quite big news because... I think he was like in his mid-30s, so it was like 15, 16 euros difference. And uh, speaking of people that were involved with The Rocketeer, we had uh, Joe Johnson, uh, who was the director of this particular movie. And for those people that might not know who that is, he actually went on to uh, direct one of my favorite MCU movies, and that would be Captain America, The First Avenger. Kind of doing the same thing that he, some of the same things he did in The Rocketeer, he got an, another chance to do it in that Captain America movie. <laughs> so, is uh, this movie was supposed to be a trilogy. In fact, Dave Stevens sold it to the Disney company saying that he wanted to make three, and they had originally said, yeah, we'll do it. Because they yeah, wanted to have Indiana their, their Indiana Jones. It was yeah. going to be their Indiana Jones. But the big but, difference, before you go too far, they were going to release it initially through Touchstone. 
which is where they did their fancy art house and R-rated stuff. And then uh, whenever they, they changed the plans to kidify it and they wanted something they could make toys for, that's how we ended up with the solo movie we got. Uh, but yeah, one of the reasons that it never did get any sequels is because it only made $43 million. 46, a, I think it is. And uh, it cost $35 million to make it. So uh, not exactly the box office smash that Disney was expecting or hoping for as one of their big summer blockbusters. And so therefore, it just didn't really have the cachet to deserve sequels in the uh, House of Mouse's eyes. But since then, it's become quite a cult classic, and a lot of folks have very fond memories of The Rocketeer and the unique look of that particular movie. And as a result, it's got a huge fan base nowadays, and they've done a cartoon on Disney Junior in the last couple of years, and they're still talking about a live-action series that they're going to potentially release for Disney Plus with maybe a um, black female lead playing the Rocketeer, the next one to inherit the jetpack. But let's talk about that movie that inspired such love and devotion among the fan base. And uh, real quickly, does anybody want to do a 10 cent synopsis of the movie, The Rocketeer? I will do the 10 cent synopsis. So uh, it's 1938 and in Los Angeles, Cliff Secourt is a pilot, but he's not doing so well in his life. And the police are chasing some robbers who hide what they have robbed in his plane. It turns out to be the Rocket Pack. Peavy, who's the engineer and helps him fix his planes when he breaks them, discover the Rocket Pack and test it out. And it turns out that it's this top-secret U.S. military Rocket Pack that's going to help them win the war, even though in 1938, U.S. was not about the war at all. I digress. Almost. They were getting there. While they're having their shenanigans with the Rocket Pack, Cliff's also having issues in his love life because his girlfriend is an aspiring movie star and is suddenly has taken the eye of Neville Sinclair, who is a very roguish actor who also turns out to be a hidden secret Nazi agent looking to recover the rocket pack because this is going to be Hitler's grand plan to invade America. Spoilers, kids. They're 40 years old or 30 years old, but they're spoilers nonetheless. Carry on. Neville Sinclair, in discovering that Cliff Secord is the Rocketeer, starts to woo his girlfriend in an attempt to gain the rocket from... I've lost it now. Like they, they get into some fights. There's some henchmen right. get thrown off zeppelins. Uh, all right, all I, right. I, I as well can't struggle with these 10 cent synopsis. All right, yeah, long story short, there's a big fight on a zeppelin. And there's a big dude with a long face called Lothar who's like, he splits their spines. And J.A. Right. might re- recognize that that's actually a play on an older actor from the 1930s called Rondo Hatton who uh, showed up in a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode called The Brute Man. He actually was born with one of the, that, that big, long, e- elongated face and um, and kind of a, a big stature build. So he looked like a kind of like a monster. So they would put him in a lot of movies in the 1930s to kind of play that up. So but did he fold people like suitcases? Because that freaked me out when the legs were above and the, they shouldn't have been where the head was. And they're, but they're, <laughs> ah! I don't think he, he was just an actor. I don't think he really did that. But I, oh, I think it, at okay. least in the Brute Man, he, he murdered people. If I remember the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie that they did. Uh, Chris, you're the youngest among us. And you, before the show, 
uh, said that you had not seen this movie in quite some time. So, initial thoughts of re-watching the movie The Rocketeer. I think it was maybe eight the last time I, I saw it. So, that's <laughs> a good uh, 26 years, give or take. Um, <laughs> I remember it fondly. I remember loving the, the movie when it was on. It's not like something I had like that I was watched all the time, but when it was on, I was like glued. You know, it was almost as good as the Princess Bride to me. It has a little bit of everything. That's all I'm saying. Princess Bride's still wow. better. But I digress. Rewatching it, all I could do is make fun of the characters and how like stereotypical they are and how campy like some of the se- like sequences are. When like the very first uh, sequence where our hero tries to save his older pilot friend, like both in the comic book and in the movie, I don't know how to take that guy seriously. Like he flies into the plane or he gets hit by the wind. Mm. He's got a rocket pack. He's never used a rocket pack before. He's not going to be an expert at rocketeering the first time. Straps. I don't want him to be the. I don't want him to be like. Oh, second nature. But at the same time, like, you still know what's going on. Like, yeah. I think they do a better job in the movie explaining why he was failing than in the comic book, which was because the the helmet that he had has a fin, which acts as a rudder. So if he turns his head, he's in a change direction. It's all like, about it those cool-ass fins. A, it was like a 10-second thing in the movie, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you can't put enough fins on things. Okay, let's let's get over to, to J.A. next. You watched The Rocketeer again for the first time probably in years as well. What were, did, what did you think? Campy? I, yeah, but in, in the good way. I thought, you know, it, there's a reason why it has a cult following. You, you watch it again, and you appreciate sort of the beats that they were going for, the campy 1950s throwbacks. I think it probably could have done with a, a harder rating. I think the Disney Disneyfication of some of the scenes reduces the ability. Like, had it been a harder R or PG-13, the violence could have been a little bit more realistic. The sex appeal probably could have been boosted a bit. But, you know, you watch it. It's a fun movie. It's a And it's a movie you can... It still holds up, I think. The effects hold up, most definitely. And you can watch it with your kids even today, and, and they will probably still enjoy it. Unlike other movies, uh, I was watching Dracula and Frankenstein, uh, my 13-year-old, and he was like, did people used to find these scary? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I agree. I think it is something that's still timeless. I mean, Joe Johnson did direct a hell of a movie in terms of not only pacing, but in comparison to the original comic book. And, and Dave Stevens, who did the original comic book, he served as a, a pretty hands-on co-producer of the Rocketeer movie. So he made sure that there was a lot of the scenes that came directly from the comic book. And it's, for me, you don't have movies that you do like in the MCU without movies like the Rocketeer. Because I honestly look at this movie and I say to myself, this was what has now become very commonplace in Hollywood, which is to take the comic book and pretty much shot for shot, 
show it on the big screen. Like, it is comic book R&D. We see that all the time now. But for the Rocketeer back in 1991, that was revolutionary. Even things like the Superman movie and the Batman movie, these weren't seen shot for shot from comic books. Yeah, there were some general ideas from the comic book, but it wasn't a shot for shot thing. You didn't have the the diner that was like the bulldog. Yeah, you didn't get that stuff in in the Batman movies, but because it was in the comic book, it made it into the movie. And and I think that is something that regardless of whether you think it's campy, which I don't think, whether you think it's dated, which I don't think, what you can say is it was revolutionary. Especially when you compare it to like what we're doing nowadays with comic book related movies, Chad. So I agree and disagree with you all at the same time. Um, I think this movie is is wonderful, and I think the reason one of the reasons it works so well is because of how well done the comic was. Like Dave Stevens had done his research, and like there was a restaurant that looked like a giant dog back in you know Hollywood back in the day. He had the reference material that he gave to the the set people in the props department, you know, to make these hangers that were based off of real life hangers. And so there's so much of this movie that I think it is campy. I, I see so much. And I don't know whether it's the the Art Deco influence, but I see so much of the Batman '66 camp in this show. It's very stylized. It's very charming. I mean, that Billy Campbell, like, why was he not the biggest thing ever? (laughs) Like, he, you know, he had that great goofball term and that naivete that, like, uh, he was great, Jennifer Conley's great, all that stuff is there. And I would actually argue that while I would have loved to have seen the Betty Page stuff translated into the movie, I think the Disneyfication with the Jennifer Conley character actually helps the movie to stand up better today. So. Chris had brought up The Princess Bride, and one of the cool things about The Princess Bride is that while Buttercup is a damsel in distress, she's not your standard damsel. Like, she's a strong female character. I think Jenny in the movie is a stronger female character than Betty is in the comic book. And I think because of that, um, it adds to that timeless quality. I think, you know, if it was the Betty Page stuff, this would feel a little bit dated and wouldn't hold up as well for modern audiences but as it stands like i think this is a great movie you know to show the family it has action it has adventure it has excitement has a little bit of romance there's some swashbuckling i don't know if i would put it as far up there as the princess bride which is it might be one of my favorite movies of all time but it's up there man there's it has something for everybody i agree on that note I mean, Jennifer Connelly is gorgeous to look at. Like, one of the things that I was watching it with uh, my wife, Nicole, and uh, one of the things that she had mentioned was just the fact that she she loves the the ball gown that um, Jennifer Connelly wears in that. In fact, she she wishes that she had that. She was just, she's like, oh, that's just gorgeous. It's just so timeless and, and, and everything like that. And I, and I had to agree because it was, it was very classy, as opposed to some yeah. of the stuff that comes up in the Dave Steam is original source material with Betty, which is, I'm not going to say classy. It's something yeah. else. She and doesn't wear a lot there. You're not admiring she, the gowns. And, I mean, uh, if you're going to talk about classy, but then let's get rid of the three second pause where we're just looking at Jennifer Conley's boobs. <laughs> like it's literally three seconds where the, that's just, that's all that's in the frame. Like, we didn't Disney-fy this quite as much as we want to think we did. But it's enough to get by. 
exactly. You don't have the scene where two guys walk in and she's like butt naked and some guys taking pictures of her. Like, again, one of the that page in the Dave Stevens comic. Oh, oh, we'll get to it in a second. But that, you don't get that in the, in the Rocketeer movie. You don't. You and the don't. Princess Bride had some references to female chests as well in there. So I think yeah. I'll allow it. References. References are different than let's just have a the screen nothing but her chest for three seconds. Well, one of the questions I had for JA is one of the nice the things I enjoy about the Rocketeer movie even now today is I mean Dave Stevens when he created the character of the Rocketeer he was really going for things like Commander Cody and King of the Rocket Men those 1940 serials with the guy with the bullet head. And the leather jacket and the and the jetpack. He was really trying to recapture that that movie serial kind of feeling. Which again, as somebody that's watched a lot of movie serials, did you did you feel like Joe Johnson in this particular movie did as well of a job in recreating that serial type atmosphere that you got from the Rocketeer comic book? Yeah, I think I think the art direction in the movie was spot on. It really did feel like one of those old serials like Buster Crab had just jumped off the screen as you know one of the original Flash Gordons. I think what makes it is that in those old serials while there's the element of danger and you don't know how the hero is going to overcome it you're never in fear that the hero is going to either have to sacrifice his morals or will ever be in like complete danger. I think that's what made the serials fun. The good guy was always the good guy. There was no real moral dilemmas on who the good guy was. And you knew that he was going to overcome the issues. You just didn't know how he was going to overcome it. And usually he would overcome it with some swashbucklingness or action forthrightness. That's what goes into making people say it's campy, right? Because you lose that element of uh, danger, I think, you know, sort of moral ambiguity that plays well in, say, like the modern Batman movies, where you're not quite sure if Batman's on the level or what he's going to do. You always knew that Cliff Secord was going to be the upright, true blue, you know, Captain America type. Okay. The one other question that I had uh, for you as a, uh, a, f- a longtime fan of the Indiana Jones movies is there's a lot of similarities between the Rocketeer and the Indiana Jones movies. In fact, you could tell that like that's what Walt Disney was trying to do. They were like, yeah, those are super popular and we're going to cash in on some of that, uh, those Indiana Jones bucks. The, the question I have is, do you feel like at all the, the original Rocketeer movie is, uh, is somewhat of a ripoff? the Nazis being the bad guys and some of the death defying escapes and things like that. Were they just trying to really in some ways rip off the, the Indiana Jones or you think it's different enough? I think it's different enough because the heroes are different enough. Uh, yeah. You're going up against Nazis. I think that was actually probably the problem with the Rocketeer. So Indiana Jones is one man who had a whip and a gun going up against, you know, the might of the third Reich in the Rocketeer. It's, a guy with a rocket pack that nobody else has going up against a secret agent slash movie star and his bodyguard. Yeah. So he's, he never really fights off against the Nazis. He fights off against, like, Nazi stooges. Ooh, I got to say Nazi stooges. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chad, your, your thoughts on that? I See, I don't see it as much as a ripoff. And this, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. This was, like, the watered-down version. Like, okay. 
I remember being a kid and being absolutely traumatized by Indiana Jones. And when the guy reaches in and pulls out the still beating heart and holds it before the dude right before he dies, like that's permanently etched into my brain, even though I remember character names. There was nothing that traumatic in here, but everything was played up for fun. And, you know, even when terrible things happen, even when the bad guy, you know, explodes in the rocket pack, even that has a little bit of silliness to it. Indiana Jones would take itself more seriously. And I think the Rocketeer was just, it, it was a lighter version, light enough to be its own thing. Okay. Chris, um, do you think that that ultimately hurt the movie at all? Being a um, being a little bit of a lighter version, do you do you feel like I think somebody some people have alluded to this? They Jay in particular, if the movie had been a little darker, a little more mature, it would have worked better. I mean, I guess this all has to depend on what your audience is. With you guys all having kids of various ages. Versus me, who doesn't have any kids, I want something darker. I, you know, the Dark Knight series, I thought was probably one of the best superhero series ever because of its being so dark. But like, if I had an eight-year-old or a six-year-old, like this is the movie I'd want to show them, like trying to get them into like comic book movies. Like this is, you know, serious enough where they understand danger is like where the danger is, but. There's nothing that's going to be uh, etched in your mind, like the still beating heart. But like, like I said, like a six-year-old, an eight-year-old probably would find it really fun. Well, we're going to get final grade on the Rocketeer before we go on to a commercial break. But uh, also with um, final grade, uh, most memorable scene from the Rocketeer movie. We'll go around. We'll start with J.A. with final grade as well as most memorable scene in your opinion. Okay, I'm going to go with a, it's a strong B. Fun movie, campy, holds up well. Could rewatch it every year if I wanted to. Not a lot of slowdowns. Just a fun, good superhero movie before there were a lot of superhero movies, which you alluded to, and I think uh, doesn't get enough play. Because, you know, in this day and age when every second movie is a superhero movie, this was made at a time when superhero movies weren't getting funded or financed. So that, I think, has a lot you know, going for it. And then standout scene, I think it's not in the comic book. I was surprised because this is later in the movie where it started to diverge from the series, but it looks like it's straight off a comic book is that shot where he's going after Neville Sinclair and he's got the, the Luger in his hand and he's about to take off to go after the Zeppelin and he stands up and the American flag is in the background and he's standing there and looking to the side and it looks like a comic book poster. It's awesome. That was like the closing scene of the or the commercial they would have on television. They'd be like, it's the Rocketeer. And then it was like coming to theaters. And it was just like, oh, look at that. Yeah, I, I kudos to that. Uh, uh, Chad. Um, so I don't know if I've praised this movie enough. I loved it since it came out. It's not serious. It's not something that, you know, you need a lot to digest. It's just a fun popcorn movie that uh, is easily accessible and you can share. And like I said, it has it just has such charm. I can't help but love it. So it's definitely an A movie for me. Um, as far as any particular scene goes, it was any scene with that jacket. I want that jacket. <laughs> Like, Nicole wanted the gown. I just wanted to wear that leather jacket with a little flappy thing in front and look badass. Like, how great 
was that outfit. Wait, my question on the jacket, because it had buttons down both sides. If you unbutton both sides, does then then the middle of the jacket just fall away and you basically have this little vest with no front? Well, no, I, there's a jacket in there. And, like, sometimes you could fold one of the flaps down a little bit and you get, like, that one-third fold look, which is also badass. No, the, the helmet is super cool. Don't Don't get me wrong. I love the helmet. But if I could have one thing, it would be that leather jacket. It is just so damn cool. Final question on the jacket. If you have the jacket, must you wear the pontoon pants? <laughs> Are you going to wear those? I would pay good money to see Chad in pontoon pants. It's like the 1930s version of the MC Hammer pants. Just What is that, by the way? Like, what goes in there? <laughs> Do you have to blow those up? Do you have to like like insert a like vacuum a cleaner and be like, I gotta inflate my pants. I'm sorry. Uh, Chris, grade, favorite scene. I'm gonna give it a solid B minus. Uh, like Jay said, it's a movie you can watch. You don't have to you don't have to load up for it. You don't have to do anything of that, but it's campy still for me and I de- I definitely think it's something you can watch every year if you really wanted to. But you definitely don't need to load yourself up like you do some like the mcu movies that we have today favorite scene i really love when they decide that the the leak that the jetpack has has need can just get fixed with a piece of gum like (laughs) that becomes such a like linchpin scene for the rest of the movie and that's it just it has to stand out like oh my god we can fix it with gum or duct tape that's all you need in life that's right. Yeah. That's part of the charm. Yeah, PV was genius with that gum. And PV's one of the best characters in that. I love Alan Arkin and so many things, but I think he really does play an excellent father figure slash crazy mechanic slash you know it's just a it's wonderful casting i think that's what i'll say about this and that's why i'm gonna give this an a i really do like the rocketeer a lot and it's because of so many things again the casting is pitch perfect it was at a time in which there weren't a lot of comic book movies this was really a pioneer of doing a comic book movie shot for shot and getting it out there I, I like Indiana Jones, so I like these kind of movies with those 1930, 1940s serialesque charms. As anybody that knows me, I like things like Flash Gordon and stuff like that. So this really was in my wheelhouse. You know, it's not an A plus because they didn't give me a sequel. And as we get to in the comic books, I actually like the second series of The Rocketeer more than the first one. I, I typically usually like the sequels after you get the origin story out of the way and you can just kind of move forward with the character as being kind of that cool guy. But um, honestly, I, my favorite scene, and it's real weird, it's when Howard Hughes shows everybody involved what would happen if the Nazis got the uh, X, X3 Sirius jetpack. And they have that awesome, classic, almost Disney-esque animation of the Third Reich strapping on the jetpacks and flying across to America. I just think that little cartoon is like, at, at, at one point as a kid, you're like, oh, that's terrifying. But like as an adult, you're like, oh, that was super cool looking. Like that's, like that's just classic animation. That just looks really neat. That's Those are the kind of little details in this movie that make it an A movie, in my opinion. And can I say one more thing for the record? I loved how fake things were in it. <laughs> and that's, it's a backhanded compliment, but like the, the goon, the giant goon with the rubber mask face, that works so well because his face is clearly just a rubber mask. <laughs> and like 
all the CGI animated stuff, you're like the, by today's standards, you'd be like, you can't get away with this. But it works. There's something about it that just makes it magical when you have that stuff in there. Those practical effects where it's like, I, I don't know, I just I love it. Yeah, I think it's the part of a trilogy of movies that were released around the same time that I feel don't get a lot of attention nor a lot of praise for being movies that kind of started moving the needle in the comic book genre. It's The Rocketeer, it's The Shadow, and it's the Billy Zane Phantom. Like, those three movies uh, were released fairly quickly around each other, and they're all kind of like those 1930-esque action-adventure with a real solid comic book grounding and for me they all work but i think the rocketeer works the best of all all right well that was our movie review of the rocketeer and uh while i go ahead and switch some tapes here on the old archive rama 3000 to give you a comic book review for today's program make sure that you take a listen to some of these fantastic folks that we support during our commercial breaks We'll be right back with more Last Comic Shop. Interruption in progress. Now hijacking into ANS 2.0 immersion rig. Now simulating the amazing nerd show. Featuring comics. <laughs> and Batman's like, you're safe here and everything, but the Joker all of a sudden pulls out a gun and shoots himself. Movies. People fight with lightsabers. What the hell do you want? I mean, you every. I mean, in every one of these movies, there's a lightsaber battle. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm gonna rewatch it a million times. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> give me something more. Wrestling. That would be awesome. Oh my god, just a monster. <laughs> Fans would be like, holy, what the hell's going on? What happened to Jericho? Horror. It starts off like any other like home invasion type of story, and then it just goes crazy. And more. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Dan. And we are the Amazing Nerd Show. Make sure to download us on all your favorite podcast platforms. On the second half of today's program, we're actually going to be talking about the comic book that inspired the Rocketeer movie. And so if you enjoy the the, the Rocketeer, if you've been a lifelong fan and have never gotten around to reading the actual comic books that it's based on, uh, this is your opportunity to listen to some folks talk about it. And uh, there aren't many. And that's the thing. The first thing I'm going to say about the Rocketeer comic book, I think there is first Rocketeer series is like five chapters. But then from there, there's only a, another three issue storyline that was released a couple years later. And that's really what we're going to be covering on today's program are the Dave Stevens original comic books that were created that uh, ultimately uh, formed the basis of the Rocketeer, because, again, he was the one that sold the rights to Walt Disney. Uh, the most interesting story I have about that is he created the character in 1982. He sold the rights to Disney in 1983. So this was a forward-thinking fella, folks. Like, this guy was like, this is R&D, baby. This is all R&D. I have my eye on the prize Marketing and is is where it's at in getting um, those big bucks, and so well, hold it right there because I, I want to interrupt a little bit. I think one of my favorite things about Dave Stevens is it doesn't seem like he gives too many shits. So I, I was doing some background research on him, and it turns out that when he was 19 years old, he was working under I want to say it was Russ Manning. 
in his, uh, you know, making comic books and realized that making comic books just wasn't the life he wanted to live. And so he went on uh, to work in advertising and he went on to work in Hollywood and doing storyboards. And then uh, this whole Rocketeer thing, like he started just doing some backup pages to help out some folks that needed some stuff done. As opposed to somebody that would like, you know, have a hit and be like, yeah, this is what I want to do from now on. Instead, like, he protected it. He tried to make sure that it was, you know, had artistic merit and wasn't totally sold out. So I don't want it to sound like, you know, he didn't care at all whatsoever. But he just wasn't interested in doing a whole lot of it. He's like, this is hard work. <laughs> like, I'll do this for fun when I want, but uh, I'm not going to do it all the time. Yeah. I, I can respect that. And the amazing thing about it is, as somebody that did it as just like a part-time thing, he has such a legendary status. As I alluded to earlier on the program, there are some people that say that he is one of the finest comic book artists of his generation. Uh, he's put in the, the same company as people like Steve Rude, uh, Mark Schultz that did Cadillacs and Dinosaurs in terms of the craft of, of comic book drawing it's just amazing to think that this guy did not do a lot of full-time comics and really didn't want to be involved too much with comics too much yeah he was an artist just not in comics full-time like he knew that that life was a harder life than he wanted to live right if i can just jump in here real quick if you look back through here you can totally see where the advertising kind of laying out that storyboard comes into play very much like what you see in like a Don Draper Mad Men type of you know layout. So like oh, it yeah. kind of makes it easier for novices to read the comic books too. No, as a storyteller, he's great. And yeah, he's the, like a, a great advertiser. He's able to pull out those moments and when you see the Rocketeer take off, like it's magical. Like he really knows what he's doing. Real quick, Chad, could you give us kind of a rundown of the comic books that we are covering today? Like, what are we exactly covering? Um, the Originally, it was a backup in Pacific Comics, Star Slayer. So the first three issues of Star Slayer was in there. And then there were two issues of Pacific Presents. And then it got a full issue by itself of the Rocketeer Special Edition, which I think was published by Eclipse. And then there was the Rocketeer Adventure Magazine is where the second story started. And that ended up being a three-parter. But uh, parts one and two came out, and there was a big, long gap between 1989 and 1995 whenever part three was finally released, because some of the rights were tied up, that sort of thing. And um, unfortunately, Dave Stevens is no longer with us. He, he passed away in 2008. But before he did pass away, IDW did put out a fantastic um, hardback book. It's called The Rocketeer, The Complete Adventures. Uh, and uh, he was able to uh, get Laura Martin uh, to do coloring on on this new tome of the complete uh, Rocketeer Adventures. And uh, that's actually what we're reading on today's program. So if you go out to Amazon or any of your other booksellers out there, uh, we're covering the Rocketeer, the complete adventures hardback, um, which includes basically eight awesome stories about the original Rocketeer from Dave Stevens. So, J.A., do you want to give us a 10-cent synopsis since you were kind of, this is almost like a tale of two books in some ways for you, and you wanted to point that out. 
Uh, sure. So, yeah, as as you said, it's eight chapters. The first half of this uh, of this book is really the movie almost beat for beat. So I'm not going to repeat that. It's 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 the movie thing. There's some different characters, like, but it's essentially the Rocketeer movie up until he goes and has to recover a plane that's been stolen. He runs into the Howard Hughes character in the book is this unnamed government agent that looks also very cool <laughs> yeah uh i was meant to be the rocketeer not you and after that it just takes a, a very hard left turn into much more adult storylines the as chad mentioned the woman betty instead of being an aspiring movie star is an aspiring something and to get there she needs to be a pinup model with emphasis on less things to pin <laughs> by a sleazy photographer who's really just in it to get with her and manipulate her not very me too moment uh, in the book she takes off to new york because she's going to go to europe with this with this photographer when they're in new york and he's trying to win his woman back he is suddenly uh being attacked by lothar because in the comic book lothar and him used to work together when he was a carny growing up and some bad things happened at the fair and now lothar is killing everyone associated with the carny so cliff secord is fighting for his life and he gets some help from a very shadow like character named jonas who is really just the shadow mm, yeah even <laughs> down to like the hook shadow. nose like, like they it's... didn't have there's that scene where they even have the shot of him with the shadow in the background and, and he's got the two guns like it's and it's oh, a beautiful looking scared. shadow like I was like why wasn't Dave Stevens more into comic books why didn't he give me a shadow series damn it I would have paid good money to see the shadow and the rocketeer in a four issue mini anyways that's the 10 cents synopsis and we're going to get to initial thoughts here in a second and, and we're going to start off with our comic book rookie uh we've got uh chris on today's program and he is somebody that hasn't read as much many comic books as chad or i or ja over the course of his uh his life so it's it's one of those things where i was really interested in hear what he thought of not only the story of the rocketeer because he probably knew that but more to the point, what he thought about the art that Dave Stevens put down on paper. So, Chris? Well, like you guys have been saying, Dave Stevens did a great job with the artwork. I mean, if I could draw, like, a tenth of that good, I could probably be doing better than stick figures. But it's very beautiful. It's very uh, luscious, like... Laura Martin did a great job with the coloring of it, but you can just tell that she had, you know, some really, really good line work to work with. So, I was just, really, can I pause you for one second? Yeah. This is one of the few times where I actually like the recolored version more than the original. But uh, Laura Martin really manages through her colors to bring out uh, Dave Stevens' line work. And I don't know, there's something Laura Martin does where she adds that extra layer to magic. I always need to see you pick up on that, but go ahead. Like Jay has kind of alluded to, and this is the tale of two books to me. Like the storyline kind of gets pretty wonky after the in the second half for me at least it's hard it's a little hard to follow i guess i just didn't really know where where i was going 
after you get outside of the stuff that you see in the movie because I was definitely exposed to the movie first. And and then I and I will say that it, it the the New York uh, issues they do suffer from the fact that the first two issues were written in again 1988 and then 1989 and then almost. 10 years pass before he finally is able to finish up that story with issue three in 1995. So it was one of those things where you kind of go into this. And as much as I like Dave Stevens as an artist, I don't want to say he was the best writer of comic books out there. Like I, I would have loved to have seen him be paired up with somebody that I, I don't know. It, it seemed like for me, even though I liked the, the New York storyline more, he didn't have a clear idea of what kind of story he was telling. And then the Carney thing kind of comes in at the last moment. And they're like, yeah, well, that's what we're doing. Uh, he was a Carney and there was somebody that died at the carnival and this guy's getting revenge on everybody. But like, there's nothing leading up to that. Like the Lothar character is not like traveling across the United States to find this guy. It's like he happens to show up and he just says, oh, by the way, this guy's looking for you. Luckily, you showed up in New York, too. It came from uh, far, far, deep, deep, deep left field. <laughs> Um, I'm not even in the parking lot at this point. Yeah, because sincerely, the only reason he goes to New York is to get Betty back, right? So, like, he gets there, and then it's just like, well, shit, I'm here. I got to tell a story. All right, fine. I'll introduce the shadow character. That's fine. That's understandable. It would have made more sense... If, like, the shadow was just investigating something, right? Not that, like, Cliff had some sort of weird connection to the Lothar character. That he just, like, yeah, I just need your help. Because this guy is, like, a big dude. And, like, I can't take him by myself. So, Rocketeer, will you help me? That makes more sense than shoehorned in storyline. <laughs> no way. I Listen, that's, that's all part of the charm of this. It's all part of that serialized soap opera, like, oh, there's this man of mystery pulling the strings, but wait, he's a good guy. The shadow's on our side, and there's this other man who's this big bruiser, but wait, they have a connection. They used to be friends back at the circus until they killed their other friend in the magic trick, and now they're hunting people down. Like, it all works. It's all part of that, you know, you can hear the music swelling in the background as all these scenes are starting. I don't know. You, I, I, you I just, just know that had had they had more more time and more issues, it would have turned out that Betty and Cliff are, are actually brothers and sisters separated at birth. Oh, absolutely. The farther this series would have gone, the deeper it would have gotten. You would have needed to have the Rocketeer's boots and fancy pants to survive and make your way through all this stuff. <laughs> okay. J.A., uh, was this the first time you've read the comic book? It is the first time I've read this comic book. I did read the comic adaption of the movie. Ooh. Drawn by Russ Heath. I wasn't ready for the sharp turn in the New York scenes. It's much different than the movie, but I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought some of it was a bit forced, and now that I know the backstory about all the years between issues two and three, that makes a bit more sense. It felt kind of disjointed here and there. I don't know if I love the shadow character or not. He's obviously the shadow. They even make not even a hint, hint, wink, wink. It's It pretty much just comes out and says, I'll stick to him like a shadow. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's neat. I, I would have liked to have seen a sequel to the movie and do this New York 
stuff. Like, I think that would have been an interesting movie because I, I, I like these stories more. I don't like really origins. And so, but um, one thing I'll say about the comic, and I don't know if either of you picked up on this. It didn't seem like Cliff really needed to be the Rocketeer very much in this. Mm. Did it seem like you guys, to you, like it was really important that Cliff was the Rocketeer? Like, especially in the second the second story, when he gets to New York, it's pretty much Cliff, for the most part, running around without the jetpack. He puts it on for a couple panels here and there, and yes, it gets him out of a couple tight scrapes, but he's not like... I'm the Rocketeer and I'm some superhero. It's more like, no, nah, I'm Cliff. And for some reason, I just keep on falling ass backwards into these bad situations. Like, what did you guys think of that? Yeah, I, now that you mention it, I think in the whole New York stuff, he uses the rocket pack, I think, twice. Once to escape from bad guys. So it takes the place of, like, jumping on the hood of a car. <laughs> and then once at the end in the, in the big final fight... Uh, where he essentially uh, tries to get out of burning down or something. Yeah. It's I think as Dave Stevens learned the first movie, they used too much budget on the rocket scenes. And he's like, oh, if we want sequels, we've got to tone that back a little bit. We use it twice here. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say that, like, the, the rocket pack really isn't, like, a super effective superhero power. Like, yes, it allows you to fly, and there's some scenes where he uses it to kind of be, like, a human battling ram. And, like, pretty much it's just a method of escaping. Like, it's like, it could be replaced with motorcycle or, again, fast car, and it's pretty much the same thing. Well... Isn't that kind of the beauty of it? At the same time, like, he's not a superhero. He's just a normal guy. Like, I mean, to me, this is kind of like a Dick Tracy type comic book at that point then, where Dick Tracy didn't have any superpowers. He was just a normal guy who did the right thing. With his radio watch. The beauty of it is that he's just a normal guy. He's not a Tony Stark. He's not a Bruce Wayne. He's not an alien from another planet. He's just one of us mere mortals, you know, bumping into things and happens to find himself with a jetpack and now bumps yeah. into things really, really fast. A stolen jetpack at that. He, it's borrowing until you don't give it back. <laughs> yeah, but he's just a normal person. He's like, you know, now that I've got that jetpack, he's not like, oh, I've got to go right the wrongs of the world. I'm, I'm Batman or I'm Spider-Man where, you know, all that responsibility crap. He's just like, yeah, I just, happen to have a jetpack but really i'm just after my woman let me get my girlfriend back that's all that really matters and and keep a job the rocket pack was to get paid right the movie works better in that regard because they're making it out that he needs the rocket pack to actually make enough money to you know be important enough for his girl or you know just in the in i don't know if they really touch upon that in the comic book too much they're like they do at the the beginning at the first section but the pre-new york stuff by the time he goes to New York, he's just like, ah, I just happen to have the jetpack. I just faked my own death, and now nah, I'll just run off to New York with the jetpack for a little while. It doesn't make a lick of sense, but I guess it doesn't have to when you've got beautiful art like this, and you've got gorgeous, gorgeous art. Oh, I could look at that Betty so much. Real quickly, guys, best Betty scene in this? Is it the scene where she's, you know, with the with the towel, or is it the scene with the leg? <laughs> I like the towel. I uh, I don't think there's a bad Betty scene in here, but I prefer the leg personally. 
Yes, that that leg with the the purple dress from the New York. That's my personal favorite. J.A. Yeah, I, I like uh, the outfit she has on in New York. Um, I think that's well drawn. No, the the one that I really like is uh, she's like just stepped into the diner and is like, oh well, well Paris will have to wait because me and Cliff will have to be there together. Oh, that like mix of a just wearing Betty Boop, Daisy Duke, you know, mashup there was uh, a special. And you see the dog looking in from down below and like, yeah, we're all dogs. <laughs> we're all dogs in that panel. Again, just some gorgeous stuff. And it, it, it is one of the most life-affirming things about this particular book in that regard is Dave Stevens uh, used uh, the pinups of Betty Page as his inspiration uh, for the Betty character in this particular comic book. And it, it kind of re-galvanized interest in Betty Page, like later on in her life, like at that point, uh, she was uh, she was much older, and uh, Dave Stevens and her became very good friends, and uh, kind of the major reason why people still talk about Betty Page, whether it's Good Girl Art or you know Dynamite puts out comic books with Betty Page or whatever, it's because Dave Stevens came on the scene and said, "Yeah, take a look at this." This is look. This is nice to look at, yeah. and a lot of people agreed. So. I, I like the story where a few years down the road, he he actually sent her a check and said, you know, he found out on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous that she wasn't doing so well, and he's like, here, I used your likeness. You didn't hear about it, but and that's what you know helped spark their friendship. But like that was a really decent thing to do, taking yeah. care of an aging star. And that's one of the cool things about this book. And I, uh, my thoughts are. The first half, I actually prefer the origin story because I think that's more cohesive uh, as opposed to the second where, as you guys have noted, it, it seems like he's making it up as he goes along. But, like, I see that as a feature, not a bug. Like, I think that's part of the charm of the second half. But the it's, uh, it's obvious that Dave Stevens not only uh, did the homework, but you can tell he's having fun with this. Whether it's references to, to Howard Hughes and the, the people he worked with, whether it's references says to that you know john ramita and you know spider-man that first appearance of uh of betty is totally mary jane hitting the jackpot there's just so much in here where you look through these pages and it's like wow this guy you know he really loves old-timey hollywood wow he really loves comic books wow he's really pulling in all this stuff as a reader you know you read it and the stuff that you do recognize you know it just gives you that extra that extra spark of joy there the comic and the movie are, they're two different beasts. The comic is aimed at an older crowd. It has some spicier uh, angles to it. and that. But uh, I think both of them, they have that joy. And that's what I love about the Rocketeer. It's hard to find things that have that, that spark of joy throughout. And I think the movie has it, and I think the book does as well. Where it's just like you're reading it, and like, it really looks like they had fun making this stuff. And I, I, I sure as heck have fun reading it and watching it. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get final grade on the comic book. And we'll start with Chris as our rookie. I would go with an A for the visuals. Definitely an A for the visuals. Like I said, that's it's just, you know, they're, they're all stickers. But a C, yeah, a C- minus for the story because it does get away from it. I do like the origin story. I would have liked to see a little, a little bit more of the second half sussed out. So overall, I'm giving it a C plus. 
Wow. So again, I'm a harsh the, the, so the, 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 the story brought it down quite considerably. Uh, I, I guess my last question to you, Chris, is not somebody that hasn't read a lot of comic books. You know, is is this one of the nicer art books uh, in terms of art that you've seen? Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the nicer ones. Like I said, it's it's definitely an A on the on the art. But for me, like I'm such more of a literary uh, reader that if you don't have a good story, it, it doesn't matter like how great the art is as it's i want the story there like that's what i'm there for all right chad i know you just gushed about this book a lot uh, <laughs> what did you uh what did you want to grade it so i definitely i can agree with chris that the story especially in the second half wasn't as strong um i i thought the origin actually was really well done and i could see where you know he could have taken this to hollywood and be like here's your movie right here you know storyboarded out and everything once I factor in though the the storytelling uh, with the art, and uh, the art is just so beautiful, and the women are beautiful, and the men are cool, and uh, just everything works. I don't give a damn about the story, and there's so many little things like that are just fun anyway, and you know it, it's not serious. It's meant to be a little bit silly. It's meant to. I, I don't see camp as a bad thing. Um, I, I love it. I think this whole thing. It's the the comic is better than the movie in my opinion. I give the whole thing an A plus. Okay, Jay. So I, I do agree that you know the the, the New York story is not as uh, fully fleshed out as the first part, but I also think that uh, by the end of it, I wanted to read more. So to me, that is you know perfect example of of a good book. Something that I get to the end and I was like, oh man, is that it? Oh, there's no more issues. I want, you know, I want more. I wanted more story. So the fact that I want to keep reading tells me that I was really enjoying it. So I would say the arts overall, you know, it, it gets a maybe a slight minus because the New York stories aren't quite as good as as the setup. But love the characters, love where it diverges from the movie. I'm gonna give this an A minus. So the book rates higher to me than the movie and just one last thing to add because i found this on bettypage.com and I, I love this this little take on the character so they they wrote about you know the rocketeer and and how betty page played into some of the the building of that character of betty from the book and they're talking about unfortunately betty page's image was overlooked in casting, the character of the Rocketeer's girlfriend, played by Jennifer Connelly, was changed to that of a 1930s girl next door type. The truth is, Betty Page is the girl everyone wishes was next door. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. That's kind of how I see the comic. The comic is, is what everyone wishes the movie was. No, that's that's a good point, and I think that kind of uh, again is, is a throwback to what you said earlier that you wish that it had been maybe PG thirteen at the very least, so that they could have added a little more of that sauce, a little bit of that spice that does make this particular comic book of the Rocketeer. It's it's an A plus for me. This is the reason why I read comics is to read comic books like the uh, the Rocketeer. Not only is it fantastic art, but it's a lot of fun. It's it's kind of like an adult cartoon a little bit in some ways like if you if you see some of the the artwork that's in here like you gotta you get a lot of the poof when somebody gets elbowed in the in the ribs or something you know kind of that over exaggerated tune-esque 
drawing, which also at the same time looks very realistic. So it's like a really nice dichotomy in the art between something that's very, again, cartoony, but at the same time, just gorgeous to look at and very, very adult, especially with Betty. Oh, man, I just... Oh. As somebody that likes good girl art, I just, I, it's been, it's, this is a major reason why I've been wanting to do this book. People that can do good girl art, they're very near and dear to my heart. And, um, and I, th- I think this is just more than that. I know that a lot of people have been ragging on those, those New York issues, even though I said the story doesn't make a lick of sense. I liked it more. Then I like the origin story just simply because I like the shadow. Again, I thought to myself, I would love to see a shadow rocketeer four parter. That should have happened. Uh, and to um, JA's point, when I got to the end of that, that New York adventure, that issue three, I wanted so much more. I was like, why didn't we get 50, 60 issues of this rocketeer? It could have been one of the best comic books ever. Instead, it's just a tantalizing glimpse of what we could have had. As with so many other really great artists out there, like Mark Schultz's Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which I'm a big fan of, that only ran for, you know, I think like 12, 13, 14 issues before it ended. And so some of these things, they're gone before they should have been. And so it's still an A+, but there's a lot of regret for me because I'm like, ah. I wish I could have had more Rocketeer, whether it was in the movies, whether it was in the comic books. I just wish that this this property had been given the um, a little more substance in terms of, of, of stories so that you could pick and choose what were the best ones instead of just like, oh, here's a handful of issues. I was going to say, too, you do have uh, like the folks at IDW picking up where Dave Stevens left off. And, you know, people like Mark Wade and Mike Allred and Kurt Busiek have all worked on uh, Rocketeer Tales. They have those awesome Alex Ross covers. And so there is more out there, but there's nothing like the original thing. And that's the thing. Like When you think about it with the fact that this particular book basically ran from like 1982, which when the first issues came out, to 1995. We got like pretty much like almost like eight little stories, but the quality never dips. Like it is, you look at it from the first issue to the last issue that Dave Stevens drew, and it looks the same. Like it is still high quality stuff. So he could have made a lot more Rocketeer and could have continued. And, and it's just, it's just, I understand why he didn't. It wasn't his thing. It wasn't his bag in the end. But gosh, as a comic book fan, I would have loved to have gotten more. One thing where I think the the movie did itself better than the comic is and they even made an homage to it in the movie is the actual rocket pack i thought the movie rocket pack is much better than the the drawn rocket pack from the comic book i mean the drawn rocket pack on the comic book looks like an old vacuum cleaner that's it's one singular monopod vacuum cleaner that he strapped on his back and in the movie it's got two twin jet engines and it's that much cooler and that much more kind of sort of retro 1930s design and what makes the movie rocket pack go just a little bit of gum just a little bit of bubble gum makes it and alcohol okay that's why it burns (laughs) cold and doesn't get so hot he's burning pure booze in that thing (laughs) it's it's a party pack on his back 
All right. Well, that's all the time we had for the last comic shop this week. I hope you enjoyed our little trip back into the last comic shop podcast archives. But make sure that you always listen to our podcast over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all of our past episodes that have actually aired on this show or some of these other Last Comic Shop podcast archive episodes that we might have in future. You can rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, YouTube, CastBox, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other podcasting platforms. Also, make sure that you check out all of our fantastic merch over at our website, like t-shirts and hoodies and coffee mugs and Archive Rama 3000s. No, we don't sell those. But in any case, until next week, folks, stay safe, stay sheltered, and remember to just enjoy your summertime. That's what I'm going to do. I think it's about time I got out there and started enjoying some of this vacation time myself. The Last Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production. <laughs>